Medicine today. This is John Murphy. I'm pleased to be with you and my co-host Leah Kaufman is here as well. I'll ask Leah to tell us a little bit about what you'll hear in today's podcast. In today's podcast, number six, we'll talk with Dr. Andres Garcia. His lab is working on biomaterials that integrate with and even communicate with the natural tissues in which they're implanted. This work may result in longer-lasting artificial hips and new devices that can tell doctors what is happening inside of patients. Let's hear from Dr. Garcia now. We're joined today by Dr. Andres Garcia, an associate professor in the Woodruff School of Mechanical Engineering and the Petit Institute for Bioengineering and Bioscience at the Georgia Institute of Technology. Dr. Garcia works on new classes of biomaterials in the field of tissue engineering. Dr. Garcia, tell me about a problem that you're working to solve in your lab. One of the most challenging problems in biomaterials is that when a synthetic material is put in the body, the body recognizes it as a foreign material and essentially tries to encapsulate it to shield it away from the body. Now this fibrous capsule that forms limits the performance of many common biomaterials that we have today like hip implants, vascular grafts, uh, chemical sensors. Uh, so one of the major research areas in my lab is to develop uh, rationally designed materials to enhance the integration of these materials with the host and provide uh, controlled interactions. When you say rationally designed, can you explain that term a little bit? Yes. Uh, our group, in, uh, as well as others in the field, um, try to design materials in which uh, we go from the biomolecular design, simply because these are the molecules that will signal to cells, and the cells are really the engines of the body's response to the material. So we go from the design of the material at the biomolecular level through a range of uh, designing and engineering the material through different scales and looking at what it does in terms of at the cell level uh, and also what it does once it's implanted in animal models. So I, I would argue that it's rationally designed in that we propose a concept or a hypothesis how the design should work and, and then we test it to see if it does that indeed. That seems unusual to me that that one group would have be working on a problem both at the molecular level on up to the animal model level. Is that unusual in your field? Uh, it, it, it's unique in that it's a very challenging problem as you can imagine because you need expertise uh, on all fronts. Um, my group is very fortunate to be at Georgia Tech uh, that has expertise in many, many areas and we have a very strong team of collaborators uh, and this team includes a synthetic chemist, uh, cell biologist, uh, biomaterials engineers and, and people that have an experience in animal models that really allow us to uh, do, do this analysis over multiple systems and scales. Is that a model, do you think, of the laboratory of the future? Uh, I think it should. I think the, the, if you think of the traditional biomaterial strategy, uh, it's essentially a screening experiment. In the past, people have developed different types of materials, and, and we do have examples of very successful biomaterials that were essentially tested on, or screened on different models. And from there, uh, you know, materials that performed better were identified. 
And certainly that is a very viable strategy that will continue to do it, uh, but it's a very inefficient strategy. I, I think the strategy that we're pursuing takes advantage really of the biological revolution in terms of understanding how proteins and how biological systems operate and then combining those with more traditional engineering or physical science to manipulate those. So I think uh, you know we're in a great time now in terms of understanding the biology and how to manipulate the biology as a way to develop new classes of materials. It seems to me this could speed up uh, a product's journey to the clinic because you are very efficiently moving it through models. I don't know what happens at the at the when you get to clinical trials, but at least up to that preclinical point, you've well, got an I integrated think, approach. You know, I think that's difficult to, to figure out up to this point. Um, the time frame and the steps I have to take in to take a material from its development to you know clinical trials is really a tortuous and extremely <laughs> expensive uh, route. Um, I think what it you know the, the body's response to a material is extremely complex, and and on the one side having a rational strategy allows you to sort out and try to identify the major strategies or, or most likely candidates to win and to some extent that could expedite different strategies. Uh, the downside is that given to the given the inherent complexity of the system, uh, you often have very unexpected results along the way. Um, and, and you know simple things usually don't work mm -hmm. uh, or are not ro robust enough. We've been very lucky over the last couple of years a couple of our strategies have worked uh, in the systems that we've evaluated, even though we're far from, from really clinical experimentation yet. Uh, but at least on the test beds that we, we employ, uh, they do seem very promising. Can you tell me about one of those practical clinical applications that we might look forward to? So one of the, uh, of the limiting problems now, let's say, with orthopedic implants, like hip and knee prosthesis, is that these over time become loose. And as the implant becomes loose, there's more wear and pain to the patient. So the average lifetime of a clinical hip implant, depending on the patient, is probably 15 years. Uh, one of the strategies that we're pursuing is to develop uh, surface coatings to apply directly to the surface of these implants, like titanium implants. And these coatings uh, are biologically inspired. So we have taken sequences from native proteins that we know are important uh, for bone formation and anchorage and put them on the surface of our implants and, and shown in, in preliminary in vivo models that we enhance also integration or anchorage of the implant by 50% with a relatively straightforward and simple strategy. So we're very exciting about these results and, and certainly want to continue doing the experiments to move this, this strategy forward. Can you extrapolate to years of life that would buy for a person's hip implant? Ah, I think that's very dangerous. <laughs> okay. I, I don't think we can do that. That's fair enough. Is there anything else you'd like to tell us about that's going on in your lab? Uh, another strategy that we're, that we're working at, and I think this highlights uh, what we can accomplish by having a team of experts, is we have put together a group of chemists, uh, biomaterial scientists, and engineers 
to tackle on a very, you know, this issue of the foreign body reaction to biomaterials. And what we have done is combine a strategy using really cutting edge materials that have very precise chemistry to create dynamic coatings. And the idea is to have a material coating that can be applied to existing materials, electrolytes, uh, cardiovascular implants, uh, drug delivery pumps. Uh, but these coatings essentially have very low interactions with the body but have specific sequences or signaling elements within them uh, that allow interactions with the cells of the inflammatory response at specific stages. So for example, we can release a anti-inflammatory drug at a particular state during the inflammatory response mm -hmm. when you expect that the drug will have more potency or more effect. We've also uh, come up with a concept to have imaging elements on these coatings that allow us to monitor the inflammatory response non-invasively. And that really will provide a more complete picture of the inflammatory response. Uh, certainly reduce the number of animals and exper experimentation that will be needed because we can monitor the reaction non-invasively real-time. So these are very exciting projects, they're very challenging. Uh, but we have a very good group uh, working on it and we've made some very good progress in the last year and, and I think we're, we have good things coming down the pipeline. I want to just sum up for our listeners um, what the big issue in regenerative medicine is here and that is to take a synthetic material and make it appear to the body as self or non-foreign so that it's not rejected um, which can cause inflammation, um, perhaps infection. Um, and other problems. And I suppose, it, for instance, with a hip implant, if you get better anchorage to the bone, to the natural material, that um, you're, you, we've already talked about increasing its lifespan, perhaps, um, but uh, you, you know, perhaps you would get less inflammation and therefore faster rehabilitation yes. or something like that? Yes, you okay. certainly could get a faster and more robust healing response. Uh, but you can also, in addition to that, you can have uh, interactions uh, and healing that you cannot have now. And an example would be is you could have an implant that ha uh, has electrical conductivity with the tissue. So it could be an implant that can be used for a pacemaker mm -hmm. or for a neural electrode. Uh, that if you have very tight association and interaction, it will allow really communication between the implant and the, uh, and the host tissue. So you can use that implant for targeted delivery. Yes of substances, whether they be medications or something to promote healing yep. or... And communication also. Yeah, you know, in the history of biomaterials, decades ago, the goal was to get a inert material. Mm -hmm. We have learned that there's no such thing as an inert material. All materials will elicit, all devices will elicit a response. So what we really want to do is, since we're going to elicit that response, can we control that response? Can we direct the response towards a healing outcome? Uh, that is beneficial. Okay. Thanks so much for joining us today. My pleasure. Sounds like Thank very you. interesting work. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you, Leah. Your discussion with Dr. Garcia is most interesting, and his work with many of the other pioneers we've had on previous podcasts are certainly advancing the quality and the rate at which regenerative medicine will be available to the public. Uh, many of our listeners.
are students in fields related to regenerative medicine. Uh, here's news for them from Tiffany Solero, who leads the student chapter of an organization dedicated to regenerative medicine. I'm joined today by Tiffany Solero. She's a bioengineering graduate student at the University of Pittsburgh, and she's involved with a group called Termis. Tiffany, tell me about Termis. The Tissue Engineering and Regenerative Medicine International Society, called Termis, was formed in October 2005. Termis's main focus is to bring together the international community of persons engaged or interested in the field of tissue engineering and regenerative medicine through regular meetings, publications, and other forms of communication. Tiffany, I understand you have a new student chapter. Absolutely. The Student and Young Investigators section, termed SYIS, was conceived with the intended purposes of following the aims and objectives of Termis as they relate to student research and education. Termis CIS aims to serve as a common platform to generate interest and promote interaction among undergraduate, graduate, students, postdoctoral researchers, and young investigators in industry and academia related to tissue engineering and regenerative medicine. So with the upcoming meeting here at Pittsburgh, we um, started a Termis SYS chapter here at Pitt to help prepare for some of the events. What you're referring to, Tiffany, is the Regenerate World Congress, which is here in Pittsburgh, April 25 to 27, 2006. We've told our listeners before that they can get more information about that meeting by visiting www.ptei.org, but how can listeners find out more about your organization? If you just go to the website www.termis.org, you can find out more information about becoming part of this exciting opportunity. Great. Thanks for telling us about Thank it. Thank you. Thanks, Leah and Tiffany. For those of you who are interested in learning more about Dr. Garcia's work, about Termis, or about the Regenerate World Congress, please see the links at regenerativemedicinetoday.com. Leah, please tell us about our next podcast. So far, we've learned a lot about the science of regenerative medicine. Next, we'll learn about the business of the field. In podcast number seven, we'll meet Carolyn Green. She directs the Office of Enterprise Development at the University of Pittsburgh and is an expert at transforming new laboratory discoveries into successful products. That's podcast number seven, coming to you in mid-April. If you have ideas for future podcasts or you'd just like to give us some feedback, please send us an email at mail at regenerativemedicinetoday.com. Please remember we can't reply to individual emails, but we do welcome your suggestions. And let me remind you that we are not physicians and we cannot provide diagnosis or medical advice by email or in these podcasts. We hope you'll stay subscribed to the RSS feed of this podcast at www.regenerativemedicinetoday.com. Please join us again in a few weeks. 